from the beautiful and palatial Ultimate Sports Talk.com radio studios. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Ultimate Sports Talk show for this October the 1st. Believe it or not, this is the 10th month of the year, October the 1st. Major League Baseball playoffs are going to begin next week. We've got a lot to go over on tonight's Ultimate Sports Talk show. Glad to have you along this evening on UltimateSportsTalk.com. As we sit down and we talk about the world of sports, you can join us here on tonight's show just simply by emailing me or sending me a tweet. My email address is dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com, or you can send me a tweet. My Twitter address is at ohbbcohost. That's ohbb as in baseball co-host. Well, Michael Vick is going to be at the helm of the Pittsburgh Steelers tonight because Big Bad Ben Roethlisberger is out of the lineup with a sprained knee, and the Steelers are going to be entertaining the Baltimore Ravens tonight. We're going to talk about that at the top of the show. NBA training camps have opened up, and the Cavs still have not signed Tristan Thompson. And next week, as I said, the baseball postseason will begin, and a racing superstar has announced his retirement. We're going to talk about all this and more coming up on tonight's Ultimate Sports Talk Show. But first, normally you would hear a theme song come up after those two words on the Ultimate Sports Talk Show. Tonight, I want to talk about a situation that is happening in Northeast Ohio in high school football. And I want to thank, from the Worcester Daily Record, Aaron Dorkson, their, of course, sports editor, for writing such an elegant and poignant article yesterday in the newspaper about a circumstance that happened during high school football last Friday night. You know, when we look at football, we have tried to do as much as possible to make the game safer. We've increased the thickness of the helmets to try to take away from concussions. We have made water breaks mandatory during practices and sometimes during early season football games. We've just done about as much as we can do to make the game safer. But when you look at football, it's a game that is a dangerous game. You've got bodies that are colliding at high speeds, and the body is just not designed to take that much punishment over a full season of play, and that's why you constantly have injuries. Well, there's a little school near West Salem, Ohio, which is about an hour south of Cleveland. It's in between Ashland and Worcester, Ohio. If you look at it on the map, it's probably about 30 miles due east of Mansfield, Ohio. And there's Northwestern High School that sits there. It's out in the middle of nowhere, as a lot of people joke around and say it's in the middle of two cornfields. Well, their football team and community are now rallying around a freshman football player, Tyler Carlson, after he suffered an unimaginable injury. Now, I'm going to go off most of the things that Aaron Dorkson said and also an interview that I did with Waynedale High School football coach Matt Zerker earlier today. and He has been in constant contact with Northwestern football coach Mike Toot about this situation with Carlson. He had a stroke following a collision during his team's game at Smithville on Friday night and he's been a patient at the Akron Children's Hospital since Saturday night. Now, there are some reports that Carlson was 
released from the hospital earlier today, but none of those reports have been confirmed as of yet. He's a good-sized freshman. He's 5 feet 10, 240 pounds, and he's one of Northwestern's most heralded incoming freshmen ever, according to their head coach, Mike Toot. And if you know anything about high school football, not only in the state of Ohio, but all over the country, when you get into smaller schools, you've got to play some freshmen and probably a lot of sophomores. And not a lot of players are just on one side of the ball or the other, especially on special teams. You play a lot of freshmen and sophomores at the lower level. Well, Carlson played linebacker and was on special teams in Northwestern's 21-14 loss against Smithville last Friday night. Coaches and trainers pulled Carlson out of the game in the first quarter for the rest of the night with what was diagnosed as a concussion. And the coaching staff said after numerous reviews of the game film, coaches still haven't been able to pinpoint on which play he was injured, although Carlson, according to reports, has said that it was done on a kickoff where he was hit, but he really didn't show any signs of a concussion until later on in the first quarter. The freshman who has a twin brother, Tanner, who is a JV and freshman player, had his, con con his condition deteriorate after the game, and he experienced episodes of vomiting, and he had trouble with his balance and swallowing, which was very peculiar, according to the medical officials. He's the son of Steve and Amy Carlson, and he was taken to the emergency room at Lodi Community Hospital on both Friday and Saturday night. And after the second trip Saturday night, early Sunday morning, he was then taken to Akron Children's Hospital, where the stroke was diagnosed after an MRI. A doctor told the family that Tyler suffered, now get this, a torn blood vessel in the back of his neck, which led to a clot forming that traveled to his brain and caused the stroke through the back of his neck. Most strokes, as I understand, happen in the cerebellum, in the front part of your brain. This one happened in the back, and that's what caused the stroke. Now, he also has a sister, Riley, who's a junior at Northwestern High School, and as I said, twin siblings. And he's got another set below him, Max and Macy. They're seventh graders. The Carlson family moved in from the Black River School District to Northwestern four years ago, and they are all active in athletics. Now, Tyler is going to face a lengthy recovery. There's no doubt about that. Football, who knows? That is up in the air. That is not anyone's prime concern right now. But what the thing is, is that it's confusing as to how he suffered torn blood vessels. Toot, the head coach, said he's never had a player suffer an injury that was anywhere near this serious on the field in more than 20 combined years as a head coach and an assistant. And one of the children's hospital nurses commented to Amy Carlson that she's only seen a couple of strokes in 15 years similar to Tyler's, which affected the medulla that controls the involuntary movements of your body, like swallowing. And that is what concerned medical officials. And she has never seen this, just a few times, I guess is what I should say. Toot labeled it a freak injury. And he told the team about Tyler's condition for the first time after practice on Monday night. And then he rushed up to Akron Children's Hospital wondering what kind of condition he was going to run into Tyler at. And as I was told by 
Matt Zerker, the Waynedale coach, earlier today. When he walked into the hospital, there was Tyler sitting in his room saying, Hey, coach, how are you? So that was a brilliant, a great sight for Toot to walk in on. And he said that he stuck around with him for a couple of hours, and uh, he's been in constant contact with him throughout the remainder of this week. The Northwestern community is doing all it can do to lift Tyler and the Carlsons up in their time of need. A prayer vigil was held for Tyler at Northwestern High School on Monday night. The Huskies are going to donate the 50-50 winnings from this Friday's game against Hillsdale to help the Carlsons with their medical and travel costs, and there will also be a table set up at the game to accept donations for the Carlsons, such as gas card donations. Also, there are several sites online that you can go to to help this family. You can GoFundMe.com. That's the prime site, GoFundMe.com, and just look up Tyler Carlson, and you will be able to donate some money. So I'm asking the people that are listening tonight to UltimateSportsTalk.com, please, even if you can donate a dollar, two dollars, three dollars, it means a lot to this family and to Northeast Ohio to get behind the football program, and especially this kid. Just donate whatever you can to GoFundMe.com and help them with not only the medical bills, but at least the gas prices. Uh, you know, they're, they're escalating now, and they would need some help getting back and forth to the hospital. Let's keep him in our, our prayers. And Waynedale's going to be playing Northwestern in a week, so hopefully there will be better news coming from him and... Let's just do whatever we can to help this out. Tyler Carlson is in good shape from what I understand. Uh, whether or not he's out of the hospital, I don't know. That's the report that we have. But listen tomorrow night to our ball game, Waynedale at Chippewa. That will begin at 6 o'clock with Golden Bear Rewind, 6.30 with the PNC Bank pregame show, and at 7 o'clock with the kickoff. Pat Mitchell and I will have all the play-by-play, and we'll bring you a better report. We'll have more of an in-depth report coming up on our pregame show tomorrow night. So let's just keep Tyler Carlson in all of our prayers. Well, leaving the high school football field and heading to the NFL, there's a lot going on around the NFL this weekend as there is a full slate of games. It's next week that the bye week's begin around the NFL. There's a big game going on tonight. The Baltimore Ravens are winless on the season. The Pittsburgh Steelers are going to entertain the Ravens in a key AFC North showdown, and they are trying to win a football game with Michael Vick as their quarterback, not Ben Roethlisberger. Big Ben was knocked out of the game last Sunday as he suffered a knee injury early in the second quarter of the Steelers' win, and now Michael Vick, who was signed during training camp to come in and be the backup quarterback for the Steelers, now's the number one signal caller for at least the next six weeks for the Pittsburgh Steelers. This is a big game. Michael Vick has got to prove to his team and to the fans that he can lead the Steelers. Baltimore, on the other hand, it's the first time they've been 0-3 since they moved to Baltimore in 1997. So this is going to be a big game tonight on 
Thursday night football. Sean Merriman sits down and breaks down tonight's matchup between the Steelers and the Ravens. Steelers are dealing with a problem here because they've got no Ben Roethlisberger for a few weeks due to a leg injury. They're going with Michael Vick. Can Michael Vick do what Big Ben does with this offense? No question. I mean, I wouldn't call Michael Vick Ben Roethlisberger at this point in his career, but he can still go in and get it done. Michael, Michael Vick has weapons now. He has Le'Veon Bell. He has Antonio Brown. And offensive line will actually block for him. You know, when he was with the Jets, he didn't have these type of weapons around him, so he struggled a little bit. And now he has the chance to come on with the Steelers with talent around him and use him, so expect that to make that happen. You mentioned Antonio Brown. How about these stats? 29 catches, 436 yards, two touchdowns in the season's first three games. So with Vic throwing him the ball, is he as effective? Yeah, Antonio Brown is playing unreal right now, and I think that uh, Michael Vick can come in and still do the same thing. He'll still find ways to get in and out of the pocket, prolong the play so Antonio Brown can go down the field and get open, probably even for deeper passes, let alone, you know, Le'Veon Bell and these guys around is just going to free up some space for Antonio Brown to keep having this same type of year. Don't forget, Michael Vick still has an arm. He's still mobile. He can still get around and throw the ball. So as long as he's able to do that and the offensive line is blocking for him, I think Antonio Brown will continue. Steelers, they have a different quarterback in for this game. Ravens, much bigger problems. They're still looking for their first win. You can't blame the 36-year-old Steve Smith. 25 catches, 349 yards, two touchdowns. But the problem is they need more people involved in that offense. Yeah, what 36-year-old? I mean, yeah. Steve Smith is playing great right now, and I'm sure the organization is leaning on him a little bit more to keep that spark going because they need this. They need to find a way. They need to find another weapon that's going to stop these double teams. At some point during the time during the season, a uh, defense is going to figure out we need to double team Steve Smith, take him out of the game. But as long as he's playing the way he's playing right now, he's going to be unstoppable. No Big Ben for the Steelers, no wins for the Ravens, so who wins this one? Yeah, I'm taking the Ravens. I can't see that they're going into the locker room saying, we're guys, we're going to be on four. They're telling their guys that this is not going to happen. We have to step up, and we're not going to be on four team. They're not on four team. I think Vic will still have a good game. Antonio Brown will have a good game. But at the end of the day, the Ravens will take this one. This is what used to be called a slobber knocker. John Madden used to call these games slobber knockers, and I think that's what this one's going to be tonight. The Ravens and the Steelers both need a win for different reasons. I'm going to pick the Steelers to win this football game. I hate to do that, especially in Pittsburgh, but I'm going to take the Steelers to win this game and Baltimore to go 0-4 for the first time in probably about 20 years. The big story in Browns land Tuesday was, believe it or not, a TMZ report that cited three unnamed offensive starters calling for the team to switch back to Johnny Manziel at quarterback. Now, as if that weren't already a narrow pool of suspects, Brown starters have since raced to deny it was them. Six players at the latest count, not including Josh McCown, who probably doesn't need to deny it. Some have gone even further, accusing TMZ of fabricating these quotes. Wide receiver Andrew Hawkins was the first to call shenanigans. He's joined now by the entire offensive line who were at a charity event and each spoke in turn about the TMZ report. Offensive tackle Joe Thomas said the quotes didn't even sound like they came from football players. Guard John Greco and tackle Michael Schwartz both expressed skepticism that TMZ obtained real quotes. And center Alex Mack and guard Joel Batonio while allowing it was possible the three players did speak anonymously, said it wasn't them. Browns coach Mike Pettin spoke about the story at his press conference on Wednesday. Are we going to have a 1,000% a agreement on our 
on on how we're using players and and how we're doing that. No, it's but it falls into you know, coaches coach and players go out. They have their jobs to do, but are they go, are they going to have opinions? Certainly. So. Um, I'm confident that there's no rift in the locker room. I think the way our players reacted uh, signifies that. Uh, and, and we always talk about controlling the controllables and, and external debate, as you put it, is something that, that we don't control. So as far as multiple players being, being off the record, um, like I said, we talked to them about it, but that's not something that I'm, that I'm concerned with. Uh, I know it makes for good copy and clicks out, outside of here. But uh, given the, the veterans that we have in the room and, and being on the inside and, and talking to the players constantly and, and getting feedback from whether it's other coaches or other players and, and getting a sense for the, the pulse of the locker room, that, 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 I'm, that I'm confident that, that, uh, that this is not an issue. Uh, the only thing that we know, we know how to do is, is, is not to get caught up in that because that, that, that stuff can just drag you down emotionally. Uh, that if that you just start to let the past just kind of sit on your shoulders, uh, I, I won't allow it to happen to myself, and, and won't allow it to happen to this team. We're, we we have a heck of a challenge in front of us this week, uh, and the, and the and the best cure for for uh, for the way things are is to go out and win. So we're, we're going to funnel all of our energy into that. You know what is hard to believe about this that we're actually relying upon TMZ to come up with a sports story. That is how far the media has sunk in this country. And despite the denials, TMZ is sticking by their story. Executive producer Evan Rosenblum relayed on his Twitter account, we stand by our story, period. Three brown starters, real quotes, nothing fabricated. The Browns are on the road this weekend. They're heading to California to take on the San Diego Chargers. If the Chargers move to L.A., this will be the last time the Browns will ever play in San Diego. I'm going to take the Chargers to win this ballgame, and it will be at 4.05, and that game will be televised on CBS. Now, the NFL is monitoring the weather in the mid-Atlantic regions and has been in contact with the Philadelphia Eagles and the Washington Redskins about scheduling contingencies for their game Sunday in Landover. Hurricane Joaquin has the potential to be a significant storm in the region. The Washington Post first reported that the league is looking into the contingencies, and there's no word on when or where the game would be moved if the league decides to make a change. Meanwhile, the Eagles are preparing for the Redskins, knowing they need a win. Zach Berman reports from Philadelphia. The Eagles need a better performance from quarterback Sam Bradford. Bradford has been inconsistent this year. As you would imagine, he said there were plays he would like to have back from last week's win over the New York Jets. But the Eagles need him to play better to get the passing game going. Yeah, obviously it's really frustrating. You know, that's our goal you know, every week is to come out and play four quarters. Um, you know, to our ability. Uh, like you said, I feel like we haven't done that yet. You know, we've shown that we're capable of it. You know, we just haven't been able to put together four quarters. Um, you know, I think obviously there's some things that we can build on. There's things that you know we did do well, and uh, you know that's our goal this week is to come out, build on those things, uh, and play four quarters. Most of the Eagles' receiving production has come from targets on the inside. That's slot receiver Jordan Matthews, tight end Zach Ertz, running back Darren Sproles. What they could use is more production from their outside wide receivers, and they can especially use that production with the deep ball, which has not been much of a factor during these first three weeks? It's a good question. I don't know. You know. Maybe it's the way that 
uh, we've been calling the game. Maybe it's the way that the defense has been playing us. You know, obviously we feel really good with the matchups that we have inside. You know, obviously with Ertz and Jordan and Sproles, you know, we feel anytime we can get those guys matched up inside, um, you know, whether it be a safety, a back, or a nickel, that those are usually matchups that we like. On defense, Kiko Alonso is still in Florida rehabbing his knee. The Eagles don't expect to have him back in Philadelphia until Friday. But linebacker Michael Kendricks could be close to returning to action. He has practiced during these past two days. And after missing last week's game with a hamstring injury, Kendricks is optimistic that he can play. Listening to my body, listening to my coaches, listening to my trainers, that's going to be the determining factor. Are you good enough now to go, though? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I was out there practicing today. Felt cool, you know. But, uh, you know, I'm a competitor. So my competitive side and my competitive spirit says, hell yeah. You know what I'm saying? So that's what I'm going to ride on. That's the story from the Eagles training facility. And the Eagles and the Redskins are slated to kick off at 1 o'clock on Sunday afternoon. That game's going to be on Fox. Now, the last time the NFL got hit with this kind of a problem, they moved the game to New York, but it was played on a Monday night. I expect this game to be played on Sunday. Take the Eagles to beat the Redskins on Monday afternoon. Now, there's a big game going on in the morning. That's going to be played in England. It's one of three games that's going to be played in London this year. The New York Jets will be playing the Miami Dolphins. That will be in Wembley Stadium in London. That game is going to kick off at 9.30 in the morning. That's actually 2.30 in the afternoon in London time. And that game will be televised on CBS. I'm going to take the Dolphins to win that one over the New York Jets. Elsewhere around the league in the 1 o'clock games on CBS, Jacksonville is playing at Indianapolis. Will Andrew Luck play? Yes. Will he be able to throw? Yes. Will he be 100%? Probably not. He'll probably be around 80 to 90%, but that's still good enough to beat the Jaguars. I'll take the Colts. On Fox at 1 o'clock, the New York Giants will be on the west side of New York, taking on the Buffalo Bills. I've got the Bills winning that football game. Elsewhere at 1 o'clock on Fox, the Carolina Panthers are in Tampa Bay to take on Jameis Winston and the Buccaneers. Take the Panthers to win that one. Also at 1 o'clock on CBS, the Raiders will be in Chicago to take on the Bears. I've got the Raiders to win that game. Also on CBS at 1 o'clock, the Houston Texans are in Atlanta to take on the Falcons. The Falcons will win that ball game. Here's a big one. The Kansas City Chiefs will be in Cincinnati taking on the Bengals. Who wins this one between Andy Dalton and the Bengals against the Chiefs? Well, I've got the Bengals winning this one. That game will be televised regionally on CBS at 1 o'clock. Other 4 o'clock games in the afternoon at 425, the Packers are in San Francisco to take on the 49ers. Packers with an easy win. The Rams will be in Arizona to play the Cardinals. I've got the Cardinals winning that one easy. And the Vikings will be in Denver to take on the Broncos. I think this one's a close game, but the Broncos still pull it out. On Sunday night football at 830 on NBC, the Dallas Cowboys are in New Orleans to take on the Saints. Will Drew Brees play? Maybe. Will Tony Romo play? No. It will be Brandon Whedon for the Cowboys. I'm taking the Saints in the Superdome to win this one. And on Monday night on ESPN at 8.30, it's the Seattle Seahawks entertaining the Detroit Lions. I'm going to pick the Seahawks to win this one. New England Patriots quarterback Tom Brady is all but certain 
to remain free to play for the rest of the season after a court ruled that the NFL's appeal in the Deflategate case would not be heard before February. The court granted a request by the league and the Players Union for an expedited hearing, with the league ordered to file a brief by October 26th, with Brady's attorneys to reply by December 7th, and the league having until December 21st to respond. The appeal would be heard the first week of February, with the Super Bowl set for February 7th at the new home stadium of the San Francisco 49ers. The timing virtually is ensuring Brady would not face a ban this season, even if the ruling in the controversial event about underinflated footballs that has haunted the Patriots since last year's American Conference final goes against him. So it looks like Tom Brady is going to be playing football for the entire 2015 season. You're listening to the Ultimate Sports Talk Show. Thanks for joining us tonight on UltimateSportsTalk.com. I'm Dave Mitchell. Well, college football hits the field again for the week number six of the season. And there's a lot of games. You know, there's no games on Thursday night or out of the top 25, I should say, or Friday night, which is unusual around the college football scene. So let's take a look at what's happening in the top 25, beginning Saturday at noon on ESPN2, Purdue will be at number two Michigan State as the Big Ten opens up their season on Saturday. Purdue one and three on the year, Michigan State four and zero. Oh. Also at noon on the Big Ten Network, Minnesota three and one will be at Northwestern, number 16 in the country. They are four and zero. Oh. On Fox Sports One, West Virginia, the 23rd ranked team in the country, unbeaten at three and zero. Oh will be at Oklahoma, number 15 in the country. They're unbeaten also at 3-0. Texas will be at TCU. That game will be televised on ABC at noon on Saturday. Texas 1-3 under Charlie Strong, and is he feeling the heat down in the Lone Star State against Texas Christian? And that will be the number four team in the country, and they are 4-0 on the year. Also at noon on ESPN, Iowa 4-0 will be at number 19, Wisconsin, they are 3-1. and one. At 3.30 in the afternoon, the big game out of the SEC and on CBS Sports Saturday afternoon, it will be number 13 Alabama going to Georgia to take on Mark Richt and the number 8 Georgia Bulldogs. Alabama 3-1, and one. Georgia is 4-0. and oh. Georgia is a two-point favorite so far in this football game. And this one is going to be a big one. John Solomon of CBS Sports, discusses whether this is the year Mark Richt can win the big one. We've reached the annual portion of the college football season, the armchair psychoanalysis of whether Mark Richt can win the big one. Alabama comes to Athens this Saturday as a rare underdog to face Georgia in a high-profile showdown. In some ways, it's a very unfair characterization of Mark Richt. He has won big games. He's won two SEC titles, although none since 2005. He has won 74% of his games, but only 43% against top 15 opponents. He's a big-time coach, but he has not won the national title. And in the SEC, national titles lately are how you get remembered and how you get evaluated by your fan base. 
An interesting aspect of this game is how Mark Richt has brought sort of Georgia's version of the Sabinization of college football to Athens. And what do I mean by that? Well, Georgia has six staff members with recent Alabama ties under Nick Saban. That includes defensive coordinator Jer Jeremy Pruitt, who has been a major catalyst of the renewed energy in Georgia's program. Keep in mind, Mark Rick has seven on-field assistants out of his nine who are new hires within the past two years. That's a pretty remarkable turnaround and shakeup. And Mark Rick told me this week that he needed to do it in part because he wanted to be more open to ideas and he wants to be receptive. He talked about how Bobby Bowden used to do that when Rick was an assistant coach at Florida State. And Mark Rick said Florida State never would have had the success it had if Bowden hadn't been open to the idea of a fast break, no huddle offense with Charlie Ward. Now it remains to be seen if Rick's openness is going to eventually lead to the, his elusive national title, but Georgia is in position to potentially have a special season if they can beat Alabama. Nick Saban even provided the highest compliment you could think of when he said this week that Georgia reminds him of a lot of, of his past Alabama teams. Physical, aggressive, and mistake-free football. If Mark Richt wins this game, he could be in position to possibly make the playoff this year and be a national championship contender. All that being said, Mark Richt is the John Cooper of the 2000s. He always finds a way to finish 9-3. and three. I am not ready to anoint this Georgia team a championship contender just yet. Now, a win over Alabama on Saturday would go a long way to me saying that, but not yet. Let's see what happens between Alabama and Georgia. And I'm going to say something here you're not going to believe. Ohio State takes on Indiana this Saturday in a battle of unbeaten teams. There, I said it quickly. Did you catch what I said? A battle of unbeaten teams. And you didn't hallucinate that last st statement that I just made. The Hoosiers enter Big Ten play 4-0, and making it to the conference slate undefeated for the first time since starting the 2010 season at 3-0. and And before that, it was almost an eternity. It'll be the first time these two schools have met without a loss between them since 1954. 54. 5-4. Indiana ranks 18th nationally in total offense, and with plenty of quality skill players, including senior quarterback Nate Sudfeld, who's thrown for over 1,100 yards and 7 TDs against one interception so far, completing 61 percent of his passes. Ohio State, number one team in the country. They're 4-0 and on the year. They are a 21.5 point favorite in this game at Bloomington. Ohio State on the road to open up the Big Ten season. That game is going to be televised on ABC. That's at 3.30 Saturday afternoon. Like I said, on ABC. Also at 3.30 on ESPN, number 11 Florida State will be at Wake Forest. Wake Forest, a 19.5-point underdog. Also at 3.30, this game is not televised. Texas Tech, coming off their brutal loss last week to TCU, will be at number 5, Baylor. At 4 o'clock on Fox Sports 1, Kansas State will be at number 20, Oklahoma State. On the Pac-10 Network at 4, Washington State is at number 24, 
California. At 7 o'clock on ESPN, number 3 Ole Miss will play at number 25 Florida. Both of those teams are unbeaten at 4-0. On ESPNU, 1-3 Eastern Michigan goes to 3-0 LSU. They're the number 9 team in the country. At 7.30 on the SEC Network, number 21 Mississippi State will be at number 14 Texas A&M. The Aggies are 4-0, Mississippi State 3-1 on the year. At 7.30 on Fox, Arizona State 2-2 goes to number 7 UCLA. They're unbeaten at 4-0. The big game on ABC on Saturday night at 8 o'clock will have number 6 Notre Dame playing at number 12 Clemson. Clemson is always a tough place to play, but Notre Dame has got championship aspirations. And Joel Klatt thinks the Fighting Irish have a definite chance to beat Clemson. You know, last year we saw a team overcome not just injuries, the most important injuries in Ohio State at the quarterback position and get to the national championship and win. Um, Notre Dame has a very veteran defense, and they're physical up front. I had a chance to watch them on film the week preparing for Texas and watch what they did to Texas, and that wasn't a very good Texas team that they played week one. But to say that they dominated Texas was an understatement. Dominate them, unblockable up front. That helps young players on the offensive side learn and develop. And I think Kaiser is developing into a a pretty salty player. Um, I love his moxie. Procease, their running back. When Terry and Folson was injured, I thought that they were doomed. It wasn't necessarily uh, the injury uh, to the quarterback that I thought doomed them. It was it was the running back because of the way Brian uses his offense. But C.J. Procease has stepped up, and he's playing really well. This is the other part for me is this game signifies whether we're going to have a legitimate Notre Dame playoff discussion or not. If they win, oh. Colin, all they have left is USC and Stanford, and that's it. I am not convinced either that Notre Dame is a championship ball club. Now, I've been watching the story of Notre Dame football on Showtime over the past few weeks. It's kind of like hard knocks only with Notre Dame, and it's going to follow them throughout the entire season. Brian Kelly, I'm not sure if he's a great football coach or if he is just the master of one-liners, but he certainly does have a lot of innuendo that he spews to this team. They're a good team. Do I think they're a great team? Not yet. But let's see what happens in Clemson on Saturday night. Now here's a game that was supposed to happen at 8 o'clock on Saturday night. Michigan, 22nd ranked team in the country. And I think they're a little overrated. They're 3-1. and one. Jim Harbaugh is bringing them a lot of notoriety. We'll be at 2-2 two and two Maryland. But because... Of Hurricane Joaquin, this game has been moved to noon on Saturday. So that game will be on the Big Ten Network, and it's been moved to noon. Michigan at Maryland. Finally on Saturday, around college football, on the Pac-10 Network at 10.30 Saturday night, Arizona will be playing at number 18, Stanford. Both teams are 3-1 and one on the year, and Stanford is a 14-point favorite in that football game. Three days. That is all that is left in the Major League Baseball season. Unless, of course, we need a tiebreaker for the wild card in the American League. And that is completely plausible. It could happen. Matter of fact, it could be a three-way tie in the American League as far as the wild card race is concerned. And guess what? 
None of those three-way teams are the Cleveland Indians. They were eliminated last night when they split a doubleheader against the Minnesota Twins, losing the first game, coming back, though, and winning the second game. But a couple of teams this week clinched their divisions. First of all, Mike Zisa reports on the St. Louis Cardinals not only winning their 100th game of the year, but also winning the best division in baseball, the National League Central Division. The Cardinals have clinched their third straight NL Central title, and they're the first team in baseball with 100 wins since the 2011 Phillies. Now, despite having the best record in baseball, the division title was not easy for the Cardinals. The Pirates are excellent, the Cubs are excellent as well, though. They're basically the three best teams in baseball, all in one division. The Cardinals did hang on to win, they clinched the postseason spot a few days ago, but obviously they want to avoid the wild card game, and they did that by clinching the division. Now, even though the Cardinals have the best record in baseball, they are facing some adversity heading into October. Carlos Martinez just had to be shut down with his shoulder strain. He's done for the postseason, done for the rest of the regular season. He's not coming back. Yadier Molina has a thumb injury. He's done for the regular season. There's some hope he can return for the postseason, but that's not set in stone yet. He's still... Uh, it's more severe than day-to-day, but that's basically what they're doing. They're taking it day-to-day, hoping he comes back for the NLDS. For now, the Cardinals have clinched the division. They know they don't have to worry about that wild-card spot. But obviously, they want to get Molina healthy, get their rotation lined up, heading into the NLDS, try to get back to the World Series where they were two years ago, and they won four years ago. Without Yadier Molina, the St. Louis Cardinals are a sitting duck. The New York Mets have won the Eastern Division. They clinched it earlier this week. And the Los Angeles Dodgers eliminated the San Francisco Giants, last year's world champion. As far as the wildcard teams in the National League are concerned, they both come out of the Central Division, Pittsburgh and the Cubs. The Cubs are going to make the playoffs. Good luck to the Wrigleyville fans. In the American League, the Toronto Blue Jays have clinched the American League East, which is their first division title since 1993, the second year that they won back-to-back World Series championships. So what's next for the Blue Jays? Again, Mike Exisa reports. Which is also the last time they went to the postseason, also the last time they won the World Series. Toronto clinched a wild card spot a few days ago, so they've been in the postseason, but now they have the AL East wrapped up. They also have the best record in the AL at this moment, and if they hang on to clinch that as well, they'll have home field advantage throughout the entire postseason. That includes the World Series because the AL won the All-Star game. The Blue Jays have been the most dominant team in baseball since the trade deadline, since they went out at a David Price, Troy Tulowitzki, Ben Revere, uh, some relievers as well to help their bullpen. They're a much more well-rounded team. They have great offense, obviously. A very good rotation, and the bullpen's been much improved, as has the team defense. They're very well-rounded. They're a serious World Series contender right now. They've been fantastic since August. It looks like they're going to clinch home field advantage throughout the postseason, and they're a very dangerous team heading into October. Oh, I agree with that one. I think they are a very dangerous team. I think they're the favorite to win the American League. Out of the Central Division, Kansas City won that division. Minnesota, though, is battling for that wild card spot. Out of the American League West, Texas leads right now, but Houston is right behind them along with the L.A. Angels. And those three teams, Houston, the Angels, and Minnesota, could conceivably finish in a three-way tie and have to have a playoff on Monday. Now, that would pit one of those, two of those three teams against each other on Monday. Then they would have to delay 
the actual wild card game for Tuesday back to Wednesday for the third team to actually play the winner of that first wild card game. It does get convoluted. I understand that, but that's the way it is in Major League Baseball this year. So it should be very, very interesting. And all of the wild card games, if if it goes according to Hoyle, the American League wild card game will be played Tuesday night. The National League wild card game between Pittsburgh and Chicago will be played on Wednesday night, and then the divisional series get underway on Friday. It's going to be a fun month of October watching Major League Baseball coming up this year. Haven't played that music for a while. The NBA training camps opened up just a few days ago, and the Cleveland Cavaliers are still in contract negotiations with free agent power forward Tristan Thompson. And there's no end in sight. Although David Griffin did say today that he expects Thompson to be in camp tomorrow under a signed contract. Will that be a multi-year deal? Will it be a one-year deal? The Cavs right now have turned down Thompson's demanded five-year, $94 million max contract, and the two sides haven't been able to come to an agreement since the end of the regular season. And last week, ESPN and Chris Broussard really screwed things up when they said that Thompson had signed a three-year, $54 million deal and then had to come back an hour later and say, oops, sorry, made a mistake, he would sign a three-year, $54 million deal. But the Cavs, they don't want to have anything to do with that. Now, with training camp underway, the Cavs and Thompson are facing a deadline of 11:59 tonight to make a deal. Under NBA rules, by October 1st, Thompson can either take the one-year $6.8 million qualifying offer to become a free agent again next year, something he's threatened to do, or come to terms on a new deal with the Cavs. And if they don't, the Cavs can extend the deadline, but that's rarely ever done. The Cavs and Thompson are an exception here, though. The Cavs want to extend the deadline to keep Thompson a restricted free agent and limit his negotiating power. A player's original team can match any offer a restricted free agent gets. Extending this deadline gives the Cavs more time to iron out a deal with Thompson or let him just take the qualifying offer and report to camp. Well, the Cavs opened up training camp yesterday in Independence, Ohio, a suburb of Cleveland, and LeBron James just another everyday player for the Cavaliers, sat down with Fox Sports Ohio's Allie Clifton to discuss last year's finals loss to Golden State, the importance of having the big three back, and what Cavs fans should look forward to this season. LeBron, last night we were talking about signature shoe number 13 today. It's the 13th media day. Does this day ever get old to you? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. Yes. It does. It. Yeah, I was going to lie. I say no, uh, but yes, it does. But it's fun. I mean, it's, it's, it's the beginning of a of a new campaign, and uh, to know that I have 13 years of service in this league, the greatest league I believe in the world. Just um, I'm very blessed. You mentioned not too long after the finals, you were in a bit of a funk. You've had a little bit of time, not much, but a little bit of time to kind of decompress. Is it out of your system yet? I don't think it's, I don't think it ever gets out of your system. Um, 
It just doesn't. I mean, and everyone that you lose for myself, you know, it gets worse and worse, you know. But um, I, I am, I got enough out of my system where I'm able to focus on what needs to be done now, today, and uh, get my guys ready uh, to perform at the highest level. How excited are you to have the team back together? Uh, well, I'm very excited. Um, I'm very excited with the opportunities that we can have, the, the different combinations our, I believe our coaching staff can go to, um, the depth that we have. Um, but it's all going to come down to health. And uh, we, all, we all know that it, it hampered us last year at the wrong part of the season. And, uh, you know, we, we definitely um, hope for better um, health this year. Speaking of health, uh, so much was made about the meeting at the pool with Kevin. But at the end of the day, you got a big commitment out of him. How important is that? Well, it's important in the simple fact that he's committed to this franchise and he's committed to what we want to do, and that's to win. He's a huge piece to our team. Um, I mean, he's, all, he's an all-star for a reason. You know, and what he can do to help us win, um, it, it won't go unnoticed. And uh, for him to be committed to, you know, what we want to do to be successful over the years, um, it's, it's pretty huge. Kyrie's commitment here, your commitment to come home, how much do you think that? Factored, factored into his decision? Um, I think it factored a lot. He wanted to hear from me that, you know, this is something that we wanted to do and do it long term. And I was like, absolutely. And um, so, you know, to have, you know, Kyrie here and to have uh, Kevin here and, and for me to return, and it just lets you know that uh, we're all on the same page. And uh, that's the most important thing. You hear it all the time. Oftentimes in life, it always comes full circle. To have Mo Williams now back alongside of you. Mm-hmm. How do you anticipate that? Going. Well, um, I anticipate it to be, um, you know, very well. Uh, you know, we had some success, you know, together in previous years, and um, you know, he's a guy that's going to not only help me but help our our, our other point guards and Delhi and Kyrie. You know, his ability uh, to score the basketball, his ability to push the tempo, but him just being a veteran um, and understanding he's played he's played championship basketball before. You know, he knows what it means to let's try to compete for a championship. So it fits. Personal goals, or is it a team goal? Uh, my personal goal? Uh, well, my personal goal always goes into the team. Mm-hmm. So everything that I, my goal, anytime I set out goals before the season, is all predicated on team success, and that's all it's about. You might be in the league for 13 years, but you're someone who has so much energy. How <laughs> wearing are you to get going again? Uh, I'm excited. Uh, I don't look too excited right now, but that's just the, the day in the life of media day. Um, but um, I'm ready to give off my energy and uh, you know to my teammates, to this, uh, to my coaching staff, and let's get ready to get, get started. One final thing: if you could put a hashtag on this season, what would you give it? Oh man, if I had to pull something out of a hat, it would probably be like hashtag uh, strive for greatness or something like that. I don't know where I got that from. <laughs> But I think that's what it would be. I think my hashtag would be NBA champions. That would be my hashtag. There are three teams that are expected to compete for the world championship this year. The first team are the Cleveland Cavaliers. Then come the San Antonio Spurs. And then the Golden State Warriors. But the Warriors today announced that Coach Steve Kerr is taking an indefinite leave of absence to continue his recovery from off-season back surgery. Now, Luke Walton, whom I've always thought would make an excellent head coach someday in the NBA, 
was announced as the interim head coach. He took on more and more responsibility last year, particularly for the offense under Alvin Gentry, who's now the head coach of the Pelicans, while Ron Adams managed the defense. Kerr is suffering from a ruptured disc, and that happened at some point last year, which required the surgery after the finals. And the stress of coaching through the finals is a lot on the body. Kerr said he hadn't had much fun this summer while being laid up. The Warriors won the NBA title last year in Kerr's rookie season. I really don't like this story, mainly because I'm not a big fan of the NCAA, but Keith Frazier is now talking. Less than 48 hours removed from the SMU 2016 postseason ban, the guard is speaking about the NCAA's punishment of the team. Frazier had coursework done for him in the summer of 2013 by a former administrative assistant, and that transgression led to a level one violation. In the NCAA's findings report, it states that the administrative assistant did all of Frazier's online work, then implored Frazier to lie about it to NCAA investigators a year later when the incidents were looked into. Frazier claims he didn't even know the work was being done by that administrative assistant. CBS Sports College basketball insider Gary Parrish discusses the NCAA's punishment of SMU and Larry Brown. The big news from college basketball is that the NCAA has banned SMU's men's basketball program from postseason play for this upcoming season and suspended Hall of Fame coach Larry Brown for 30% of the Mustangs' games. That's the result of an investigation into rules violations, and the byproduct on a larger scale is this. Two of the six active Hall of Fame coaches in college basketball will now be serving suspensions for rules violations in this upcoming season. One, of course, is SMU's Larry Brown. The other, Syracuse's Jim Beheim. Then there's a third active Hall of Fame coach, North Carolina's Roy Williams, who's awaiting punishment from the NCAA, and a fourth. Active Hall of Fame coach, Kentucky's John Calipari, who has two vacated Final Fours on his resume. So I ask in a rhetorical way, what exactly does this say about the sport of college basketball? As for SMU, it's too bad, really, because this team on paper was good enough to make the NCAA tournament. This team on paper is probably a preseason top 25 team. Now their goals have been ripped away. It's tough on some level not to feel sorry for the seniors. That said, the seniors should probably be more upset with their coaching staff than the NCAA. Because remember, the NCAA here, they didn't knowingly violate NCAA rules. They merely caught SMU knowingly violating NCAA rules. So when you're assigning blame, I would encourage you to at least remember that. Either way, for Larry Brown, this is now three different programs that have been placed on postseason bans because of things that happened on his watch. The first was UCLA, then Kansas, and now SMU. Well, that postseason ban for SMU will likely come under appeal by the school within the next couple of weeks. And as to whether the appeals process will lead to the NCAA's ban being overturned or stall the decision to a 2017 ban remains to be seen. If it's stalled until 2017, Larry Brown may coach this year and then just decide to retire. He is 75 years old. Three-time Sprint Cup Series champion Tony Stewart seemed at ease and was self-deprecating as he announced he would be stepping away from the number 14 car at the end of the 2016 race season on Wednesday. 
Stewart's retirement will come after 18 years in the Sprint Cup Series. He currently has 48 wins to his name, although he hasn't won since 2013. He spoke about his impending retirement yesterday. Yeah, next year will uh, be my last year in the Sprint Cup Series. And, um, you know, it was a choice that was 100% mine. There wasn't uh, any pressure from anybody. Uh, if anything, it was the opposite. I had more people trying to talk me out of it than... Uh, than anything, so um, you know, it's. I think it's a scenario where everybody in their career at some point, you know, makes the decision that it's time for a change, and and it's nothing that you plan. I think it just, I think it happens. I think, I think deep down, you know, when it's time to to do something different to make a change like this. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of a bittersweet day. I mean, I'm excited about it, but at the same time, I'm. I'm you know, sad about it as well. I mean, I love what I do with NASCAR, and I love what I do, uh, you know, as a driver. And, and the great thing is I'm not going anywhere. They, uh, NASCAR is probably going to be the most disappointed of everybody today because they aren't getting rid of me. So uh, they have to deal with me as an owner. So there's still the opportunity to get fined, and there's still opportunity to be put on probation, just like always, um, just from a different capacity than now. But um, uh, the reality, I guess, of why we, we probably had to make this decision, I think, is because Mike Arning and Eddie Jarvis are just tired of dealing with me, and they said we can't do another year, so <laughs> they forced us into this. But um, you know, I'm excited about what we're what we're doing in the future. I mean, uh, the great thing is, um, I think a lot of athletes and professionals get to the scenario and get to the the point where they make this decision and uh, don't really know what they're going to do with the rest of their lives, and I. I I can say that I honestly have everything lined down and, and uh, in place, and, and it's basically doing everything I'm doing now, just not driving a cup car. Stewart said he thought about retiring at the end of this season. However, he cited Jeff Gordon's retirement tour this year as the inspiration for waiting another year. Gordon is ending his career this season and will be moving into the announcing booth. A federal appeals court struck down a plan to pay college football and basketball players in a ruling that NCAA leaders believe supports their contention that the athletes are students and not professionals. The Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals agreed Wednesday that the NCAA's use of college athletes' names, images, and likenesses in video games and TV broadcasts violated antitrust laws, but vacated a judge's decision that would have allowed schools to make deferred cash payments to athletes of up to $5,000 per year. Adam Schein discusses if NCAA athletes should be compensated for the use of their likeness. They also noted that the lower court should not have agreed to allow those athletes to be paid $5,000 for the use of their name, image, or likeness a year as well. Here's my take on all this. Student athletes should not get paid. Who, who gets paid? Male athletes? Female? Olympic sports? I think there's a slippery slope. I think it'll muddy the waters in recruiting even more. If you want to get paid, turn pro. I will always believe that a scholarship to a university to receive a wonderful and free education is worth something while giving you a forum to make a name for yourself and to become a pro athlete. And the season is over for Serena Williams. The number one ranked Williams withdrew from her final two scheduled tournaments of the year on today, saying she needs time to heal from a series of injuries and the heartbreak of coming up short in a bid for a calendar year Grand Slam. 
Williams hasn't played since losing to Roberta Vinci in the semifinals of the U.S. Open last month, where she came up two matches short of becoming the first player to win all four majors in the same year since Steffi Graf did it in 1988. And finally tonight, reiterating our initial story of the evening about Northwestern High School football player, freshman Tyler Carlson, please, if you can help out this family, go to GoFundMe.com and donate whatever you can to this family for at least some gas expenses as Carlson uh, I don't know if he was released from the hospital today or not. The reports have not uh, come through as of yet, but he suffered a stroke in Friday night's football game, but he is resting comfortably, and his family could use all the help they can get. That's going to do it for tonight's show. Don't forget, coming up tomorrow night, we have got high school football action for you here on UltimateSportsTalk.com where the Waynedale Golden Bears will be traveling to Chippewa. Now, this is a battle between two Division V high school football teams. Waynedale ranked number 10 in the Associated Press rankings this week. Chippewa ranked number 11 in the state of Ohio high school football. Waynedale is 4-1 and one on the year. They are 1-1 one and one in conference play. Chippewa also 4-1 and one on the year, and they are 1-1 one and one in conference play. This is Game 6 of the year, and I don't think you could call Game 6 of a season, out of a 10-game season, being a must-win situation. But for both of these ball clubs, considering what they've got left, it may be a must-win as far as the conference is concerned. The playoffs... That may be a different story. Both teams may be shoe-ins for the playoffs if they continue to win out after tomorrow night's game. We'll be on the air at 6 o'clock with Golden Bear Rewind. We're going to replay the third quarter of last week's game for the Bears against the Hillsdale Falcons. And then at 6.30, the PNC Bank pregame show with Pat Mitchell and I. And at 7 o'clock is the kickoff from Doylestown, Ohio, Chippewa Stadium with the play-by-play here on UltimateSportsTalk.com. And then, coming up Monday night, Mark Donahue and I will have the finale of the regular season episodes of our Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. That'll be at 9 o'clock. Mark and I will go over what we think the Indians and Reds should do to finish out the off-season and head into next year's spring training with an opportunity to win the World Series championship. And we'll also go over what is going to happen in the playoffs. By then, we should know if there's a three-way tie or whether or not it is just a two-way tie or who's going to be playing in the wild card games. That'll be coming up on Monday night here on Ultimate Sports Talk beginning at 9 o'clock. And don't forget, again, I'll be back on the air next Thursday night with another Ultimate Sports Talk show. That's next Thursday night at 7 o'clock. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell tonight for producing our program, but most of all, our thanks go out to you for listening. Be sure to join us tomorrow night for high school football, Monday night for the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, and next Thursday night I'll be back with another Ultimate Sports Talk Show. Enjoy the game tonight, Baltimore and Pittsburgh on CBS. I'm Dave Mitchell. Have a good weekend, everybody. Good night. Good night.